one of the most nerve-wracking scenarios I could entertain as a mother of young ones, trying to raise them in the Christian faith looked like it was coming to pass for me one night during bedtime prayers. What do I do if God lets my kids down? Now, I knew he's big enough to take care of his own reputation and that his purposes are always ultimately good, but I wasn't equally sure about my ability to defend his ways to this sweet little six-year-old who just asked God for something outrageous. David recently left pastoring and was now cobbling together four part-time jobs and working to get an accounting degree to keep the Zealy ship afloat. As well, along with our four kids, ages four to 10, we were cleaning TurboCam Dave's workplace two evenings a week. One night, one of our kids, likely responding to me or dad having said something like, just be honest with God, tell him what you need, talk to him like you would to us, honey, prayed the following with the sweetest and simplest faith. Lord, please, I wanna fly on an airplane. Well, flying on an airplane was about as likely to be in our future as a visit from aliens. I gulped and said something lame like, well, we'll see what God does, honey, and kissed her goodnight, walking downstairs with the same feeling you have when you can't afford the pricey Lego set on Christmas, and you hope that your child isn't too disappointed with the crummy substitute which you can't afford. Oh, me of little faith. Well, a week after that, Dave got a phone call from a good college friend from Oklahoma. Hans's heart is as big as his Oklahoman drawl, and his family owned at that time the second largest oil drilling company in the U.S. Dave, Leah and I have been thinking, we would like to have you and the family come down and visit us in Oklahoma. Well, Dave stammered, that would be nice, but listen, Dave, we would like to fly you down here. Half the time, stay with us here in Tulsa. The other half will give you our cabin on a lake in eastern Oklahoma with all the boats at your disposal. <laughs> wow, did I have egg on my face before God. He seemed to be chuckling at me. And our daughter? She was excited, but really not that surprised. Of course God answered her. What was that Jesus said about receiving the kingdom of God like a child? I think about this story sometimes when I read verses like the ones we're looking at today. The words of Jesus as recorded in John chapter 15, verses 7 and 16. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Wow, what a gift Jesus gives us in these verses. He tells us to ask. Today we'll be looking at asking and receiving, punctuated by five stories, the first of which you just heard. How amazing an invitation we think when we first read or hear these verses, and it is. Our praying, our talking with God is not something that we thought up. The incredible offer originates with the creator of all that we see. Not only does Jesus invite us to talk to our Father, but we're to ask him for whatever we need in our own voices, in our own situations in life. But the truth is, unlike little children, we often balk at asking, how do I ask? What do I say? Lutheran pastor and theologian Helmut Thielicke, contemplating this generous offer from a generous God, wrote, thank God that our prayer does not depend on expressing the correct desires 
that it doesn't depend on our making a correct diagnosis of our needs and troubles and then presenting God with a properly phrased and clearly outlined prayer proposition. He knows us before we pray. The Father is always there with his goodness before we come with our many words or with our great silences. We are not to worry about how we ask, getting the words or the requests just right. And furthermore, Jesus didn't qualify what we can ask. Nothing is too trivial, too embarrassing, too big, too outrageous. Even though Jesus makes no qualifications on what we can ask, he does, however, make one qualification, that our asking comes from a position of abiding in him and having his words daily knitted into the way we think. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, he says. Paul puts it like this in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So a little reminder about abiding. The longer we remain close to Jesus, living our lives before him and with him, and at the same time, making learning his words a priority in our lives, asking his help to put them into practice, his Holy Spirit always desiring to work in us, changes what we desire and what we long for. And we find ourselves asking Jesus for what Jesus would ask if he were in our shoes. That's what asking in his name means. Abiding or remaining isn't the sort of thing that you do in one day. It's an ongoing process throughout your life. We fail sometimes, we walk away, we decide to take our lives into our own hands. This is not abiding. But is the invitation to come back to Jesus, recognizing we've been foolish and asking him for forgiveness always there? Yes, a hundred times, yes. I must say that in all this, it's so important to be in the body, the church, we need each other's help in abiding, confessing our sins to one another, meeting in corporate worship, prayer, hearing God's word, sharing the Lord's table. We need each other to put, point out in love when we're straying from Jesus and to remind each other that he's willing to accept the one who's wandered away but turns back to him. Do you make time to read and to learn his word, asking him to help you obey it? As Brittany said last week in her teaching about abiding, what we hear and listen to does shape the way we think. As Paul wrote, we can so easily conform to the thinking of this world. Our souls like Play-Doh, comfortably settling into the shape of the thinking around us, desiring things far below the rich life Jesus desires for us. How can you make listening to his word a priority? Well, back to asking. One truth about humans, we generally find asking hard. To ask someone for something requires being vulnerable, admitting our weakness. You generally have to feel close to someone to ask for something that's personal and important. And this is what happens when we remain in Jesus. We will taste his goodness and begin to trust in it, which will help us to be real and honest with him and to ask. And the more we do this, the less we'll want to stray away and go it alone. In other words, we'll abide more. A happy circle of asking and abiding, abiding and asking. I recall my dad frustrating my mom because when we were headed to a destination and got lost, she would immediately be looking out the window for someone to ask directions of. But to my dad, asking was the last resort. He would try this way and that way and take a while to admit defeat if such admission became necessary. Now, I'm not putting down my dad, but I'm just saying that human nature is bent toward doing it myself. It's an expression of pride. 
Instead of asking, some of us find it easier to hint or to subtly manipulate in our words instead of humbling ourselves. Let's say I have a big job to do. Maybe it's feeding a number of people, something that intimidates me. Do I go to people I know and are good at this and simply ask, hey, I've got this big event going on and I'm overwhelmed. Would you be willing to help me? Or do I kind of hint and sort of whine to people I'm around? Oh, please pray for me. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I have all these people to feed. Well, asking directly for what we need demonstrates respect for the other person. It demonstrates respect for God. It doesn't place others in the position of trying to figure out what we need. And in the case of God, of course, he already knows what we need before, but he still wants us to ask. Take a look at your comfort level with asking help from others. It's likely a good indication of how willing you are to ask of God. Honest asking and receiving builds relationship, trust, transparency, dependence. That's as true of our relationship with Jesus as it is with our relationships with other people. But we need to look at a second reason we avoid asking God, having to face the possible answer, no. When we experience silence from God or no apparent answer to our prayers, Helmut Tilika suggests, may it not be that God remains silent in order that we shall not submit in fatalistic resignation that says, eh, whatever happens must happen, but rather in order that we may learn to remain in communication in constant contact with him? May not God therefore often wait and remain silent in order to make me seek him more passionately and persistently. Theologian Dallas Willard also addressed this problem of no, writing, we do not know enough and our desires are not perfect enough for us safely to be given everything we want and ask for. Well, on to the second story about asking. Luke records that Jesus sent some of his disciples to go into a Samaritan village to make preparations for him Perhaps that meant a place to share a meal or a place to stay. But the Samaritans knew that Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, which they refused to acknowledge as a valid center for worship. And because of that, Luke tells us, they refused to help him. Well, James and John returned to Jesus steaming mad about this. And they did the right thing with their anger about the situation. They turned to Jesus and they asked, well, this is what they asked, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Well, I'll bet you know Jesus' answer, answer to that request. Yup, we're told he turned and rebuked them. James and John obviously had some more abiding to do, and Jesus' words about loving one's enemies, they had not really yet come to remain and regulate the thoughts of their hearts, had they? No. Now, our asking is likely not as outrageous and patently against the nature of Jesus as this request to firebomb enemies, but perhaps this gives us an extreme and slightly humorous example of how off-base we can be in what we ask and of how God's ways are often not ours. We should not be surprised when some of our requests are met with a no. James and John must have been embarrassed by this as they grew in grace and in the knowledge of God. But aren't we grateful to have this all too human example of how wrong we can sometimes be in our asking? Think about it. Did Jesus reject them after this awful request? No, he rebuked them, yes. But let me point out what they did right again. 
even in their anger and all their human messiness, they turned to Jesus and they asked him. Yes, he corrected and chastened them, but they survived that and they continued to abide with him. They went on to bear all crazy kinds of fruit for God. And in John's case, even to write a gospel. In fact, the very gospel, which contains the words of Jesus that we're looking at today. No, Jesus was far from done with them. Let's ask boldly and allow Jesus to sort us out, as the British are fond of saying. He has big plans for you, too, to bear fruit for his glory. Sometimes our problem isn't so much with asking, but with receiving, which leads me to my third story. When we had only two children and came down here to start the church on the UNH campus, we couldn't afford much rent, so we could choose between either living in a ramshackle apartment in an old house or in a subsidized apartment complex in Dover, which is what we chose. We did make enough, however, not to need a subsidy to help with that. Anyway, as our family was growing to become three children, I started to ask God for a house. Dave was praying too, and we had an offer from our friend Hans again for him to purchase a home for us because we didn't have enough income to qualify for a mortgage. He was offering to pay cash for it, and after that we could get a mortgage and then pay him back. Well, Dave balked at such a big offer, and I whined about his balking. One day, we went to a prophetic meeting, the one-eyed prophet, as Richard Lambert was known, having a patch over one eye and being able to see many things more clearly than we with two eyes. Well, he was speaking and then afterward asking God to speak through him to persons assembled. Richard was walking around the room and at one point, Dave, with closed eyes, felt Richard stop right behind him. The hair on Dave's neck rose. Richard spoke. Why are you not letting me bless you, says the Lord. I want to bless you, and you keep saying no. Wow, needless to say, we knew exactly what God was referring to, and very shortly thereafter, Dave made a call to Hans to accept his kind offer, which the Lord had made clear to us was actually the Lord's kind offer. And we live in that house to this day. Are you willing to receive what the Lord wants to give to you? It's possible to ask, while at the same time, be not truly willing to receive. Like hard soil that softens under a gentle continual rain, our sometimes hard hearts will soften as we receive from God. This makes for a fruit-bearing kind of soil. I'd like to share a fourth story from a woman, the fruit, is, fruit of whose life shows she'd spent many years abiding in Jesus. Irene Webster Smith was a missionary from Ireland who worked in Japan among girls trapped in prostitution and with unwanted babies, raising them in the truth. This was all prior to World War II when she had to leave Japan. Well, after the war, General Douglas MacArthur invited her to return. Such was her reputation as beloved among the Japanese Christians. So she settled in Tokyo and worked with students through a Japanese branch of InterVarsity. Well, the group grew rapidly and it needed a larger place for their headquarters, and Irene found a perfect house for sale. But when she approached the owner about it, the woman told her it's been sold. Well, if the agreement falls through, Irene said, here's my phone number. Oh, it won't fall through, the woman said. We all agreed. But the next day, Irene got a call from the owner. I don't know why, but the buyer backed out, she told Irene. She was willing to sell the house to Irene, but the asking price was the equivalent at the time of $18,000.
Do you have the money? She said to Irene. No, I don't, said Irene, but I believe in God and he owns the universe, so he has the $18,000. Would you let me pay you in installments, say $3,000 per month for the next six months, due at the end of each month? The woman was willing. Well, Irene had no money and immediately turned to prayer, calling on God with her life verse from Philippians, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And sure enough, at the end of each month, the money would come in. But one month, she didn't have that $3,000 to deposit in the woman's account on the Friday that it was due. The woman trusted her and she'd given Irene her account number for the very purpose of making the deposits on her own at the bank. So the bank called Irene on the Friday and they said they were actually taking inventory that day and would she please wait till Monday to make her usual deposit? Well, of course. During the weekend, Irene spoke to some American troops stationed in Japan and after she spoke, they decided to take up a collection for her missionary work and you guessed it, Irene had her $3,000 by Monday. When Irene paid her last installment to the Japanese woman, this woman who was devoted to the Shinto religion said, I've offered thousands and thousands of prayers at the Shinto shrine, but none of them have ever been answered. I had two sons and a husband and all three of them were killed in the war. I prayed to the Shinto gods to protect them, but my prayers weren't answered. So now I'm alone. I don't need this house anymore. That's why I'm selling it. When you told me your God would hear your prayers and answer them, I decided in my heart that if he did that, I would ask him to be my God. I want to have a God who answers prayer. So Irene Webster Smith introduced this woman to Jesus Christ, the God who answers prayer. Fruit from a woman who abided in Jesus and asked for what she needed, eternally changing the life of a stranger in the process. I'd like to circle back here at the end by telling a very different final story, also from the life of Irene Webster Smith, a story which I think you'll realize sounds quite a lot like the first story I told. One evening, surrounded by the girls in the orphanage that she ran in Japan, Irene read the passage about, have faith in God. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Well, one little girl piped up, sensei, which means teacher. Did Jesus really mean what he said? Of course, replied Irene. Why do you ask? Well, there is a large mountain, she said, between our orphanage and the Sea of Japan. If this were removed and cast into the sea, we would have a beautiful view of the ocean. Irene tried to soften the blow of disappointment by saying, well, Jesus didn't necessarily mean a physical mountain, but the problems in our lives. But the little girl persisted. But Jesus said this mountain, he was talking to them about a real mountain. I'm gonna ask him to take this mountain away. A short while later, the residents of the orphanage saw bulldozers on the top of that mountain. Irene asked the workers and they said that the government had decided to use the dirt for fill, that they were going to take it and throw it into a shallow part of the sea to reclaim some land. 
Thus, the little girl's prayer was answered, and the orphanage now had a lovely view of the sea. This God, wise and good beyond anything we could ever invent, as well as surprising and full of a sense of humor, answering outrageous requests of children. This Jesus inviting us all to live so intimately with him that we can ask and receive as if he were doing the asking of his dearly loved father himself. Will you take him up on this offer to be one who lives close to him, to be one who's an asker and a receiver? Maybe you're listening and realize you don't know him but want to. That starts by, you guessed it, asking him. And such a request is something he would never refuse. In fact, before you were aware of it, he was whispering that very desire into your heart. Please contact us at newfrontierschurch.com if you would like to talk further. That's a request we would love to answer. God bless your week, everyone, and thank you for listening.